and welcome back to the Riverdale Recap Podcast. Today, we will be talking about the eighth episode of Riverdale Season 6, The Town. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski, and unfortunately, for the first time on the Riverdale Recap Podcast, I am not going to be joined by my normal co-host, Kirsten McKinnis. Unfortunately, it has been a wild month, and we just have a lot of podcasting to do all around, so I'm giving Kirsten a little bit of a break this week. But fear not, I have a truly interesting guest to bring in. Things are a little bit wild in Riverdale ever since we had the River Vale episodes and everything. And of course, really, things have been wild in Riverdale since about season two. So I decided we're going to do something just completely off the rails, and we're going to bring in the special guest, me with a bad accent. So, Mary with a bad accent, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, Mary. Thank you for inviting me on this podcast, and I am thrilled to have a conversation with you. This won't be weird at all. Oh, Mary, you kid, it's not going to be weird at all. I'm sure that everyone is going to eat this up and definitely not be annoyed by it. So, let's dive into the episode, shall we? Uh, There's really three plot lines here, so Mary, uh, where do you think you want to start? Why don't we start with the dreamscapes, Cheryl and Abigail and Britannia plotline? How about that? That sounds like a great idea. Let's jump into that. So as we left off last time, we had mentioned, Kirsten and I, at the end of the previous episode, that it seemed like Cheryl was not as gone from the world as maybe Nana Blossom had initially thought. It seems like Britta saw Cheryl in the mirror when Abigail was talking, and so Britta approaches Nana Blossom and says, we need to find a way to get her back. Now, I don't know why she approached Nana Blossom about this because Nana Blossom's the one who brought Abigail into the world in the first place, but Nana is now just, you know, she's locked in a cell in downstairs, so I guess she's willing to help to figure all this out. Yes, so Nana Blossom tells Britannia that she needs to enter a deep slumber near Abigail and walk in her dreamscape since they were once tethered through Abigail. Abigail's inhabiting Britannia's body. So this is the plan that Nana sort of leaves Britannia up to, where she's going to drug Abigail's tea and then lay down next to her. Now, Nana's going to warn Britannia that she needs to make sure to wake up before Abigail does, or else she will suffer some terrible wrath, but we never really find out what that is. Maybe that's for another episode. Yeah, we don't really find out anything about that this time. So we get a flashback or memory, sort of, Uh, when we see Abigail like staring in a mirror and we get this flashback of Cheryl and Jason when they're younger talking about their birthday and Penelope is planning a birthday party. I don't know what in the world is going on with Penelope's hair. It was very distracting. Oh oh yes, it was very distracting indeed. Also, this Jason actor is, it's just funny because we saw for the first time in the River Vale episodes, I think it was in the Jughead Paradox, that he finally got to speak and I don't know if anyone else has been trapped this, but in the other Riverdale podcast, the Riverdale Register, the only other Riverdale podcast we fully acknowledge, uh, they have a running joke where they talk about how the Jason actor has been on this show 
on and off for years and years and has never spoken a word. But he gets to speak again this time. Uh, I think he just says like, yes, mom or something, but he, he gets to speak a word. So that's funny. I wonder if this actor just lives nearby or something because he just seems to get pulled into random moments like once a season. So later on in the episode, when we learn more about Pickens, which is going on in the main plot, Percival Pickens, who's back in town, the new big bad, Abigail decides that she wants to learn a bit, a little bit about him because maybe together they can take over Riverdale. And Britannia then takes this opportunity to drug Abigail's tea while she's reading a book about the history of Riverdale. I don't know how Britannia drinks her own tea and then like somehow wakes up from a drugged sleep just to the sound of her phone alarm. I'm pretty sure that's not how drugs work, but I digress. So inside Abigail's dream or Cheryl's dream or whatever this dreamscape is, it's Cheryl and Jason's birthday party and Cheryl is being tormented by her mom who's just being extremely cruel. I, I really don't know if this was supposed to be like actual flashbacks, like this was something that actually happened or we were just supposed to believe that like because Penelope wasn't the best mom to Cheryl, maybe in Cheryl's nightmares, this was something that could have happened. Yeah, probably the latter. I think I'd probably go with that. So Britta wakes up right before Abigail does and leaves the room. Later on, we get another dream. And this time Penelope is tormenting Cheryl some more, but this time also Jason. Uh, in the middle of the night, waking them up and making them scrub the floor. And when Britannia asks Nana about this, Nana says that Penelope was always Cheryl's tormentor, and so Abigail has somehow conjured her up to be like a bad guy in Cheryl's dreamscape, and that Cheryl needs to somehow learn to like lucid dream and basically realize that Penelope is just part of her subconscious. Uh, Mary with an accent, have you ever been able to lucid dream? Yes, I actually, I had many dreams as a child where I would, especially if it was, they were sort of scary dreams, I would find a way to kind of realize that they were, uh, they were dreams. In the middle of my dream, I would go, wait a second, this is a dream. Oh, I have control. And so now I would be able to do things like just decide that the monsters weren't chasing me and I could fly and things like that. And that's kind of the way I did it. I, it wasn't exactly lucid dreaming because I didn't like try to, you know, there's like methods online to try and fall asleep in a particular way. I didn't do it any of that. But I did find that I had some control over my dream as long as in my dreams I realized it was a dream. You know, it's so funny. I had the exact same experience. It's almost like we're the same person, just you're with an accent. It's, it's so interesting. So uh, we get to dream three a little while later and Penelope it has cut off Cheryl's hair and it just looks horrible. And Britta's like, I'm going to give you a note uh, to to tell you this. But I don't know. She doesn't like just slip the note. She like first tells Cheryl about Penelope being just a, a part of her dream and then she slips the note and then somehow that brings Cheryl out of it. it. It doesn't really make any sense because the entire reason that she wrote the note in the first place was because she felt like she wasn't able to talk to Cheryl before Penelope showed up but like then, then she just did both things. Um, and I, I really got to say the main thing I noticed about this scene was that Cheryl is in a truly epic outfit when she turns on Penelope. Oh yes, that skirt and shirt combo, quite, quite amazing if I do say so myself. Unfortunately, Kirsten is not here to describe it for us since she's normally the one on outfit watch, especially with Cheryl. So yeah, by the end of the, uh, the Cheryl plot line, Cheryl is going to visit Britta in her 
own dream somehow and say like, yeah, we need to come up with a plan to get Abigail out of my beautiful body. And that's the end of that plot line. Uh, anything else to add on that one, uh, Mary with an accent? No, I think you just about summed it up. All right. So the main plot line of this episode is what I have decided to call the worst town in America plot line. And I think they try to make this seem like, like t- not tongue in cheek, that's not the right term, but like, oh, it's so ridiculous that someone would write an article about how Riverdale is the worst town in America because really it's this sweet town. No, no, it is the worst town in America. Everything said in this article is totally true. While lacking some perspective, perhaps, it's uh, it's all factual <laughs> based on the circumstances of the town. So Jughead is going to explain to us, the viewer, that yes, he can hear thoughts, uh, but he basically has told everyone that his hearing has returned and they think it has because he's just hearing the thoughts that someone thinks before they speak. Now, this is a nuance that I don't quite know and it's it's something interesting about like mind reading, right? Mind reading works differently in a lot of different forms, uh, whether it be Edward Cullen reading Minds in Twilight or whatever the case is. Uh, I, I don't know if normally in mind reading you can like read the thoughts that someone's about to speak. Like that just seems convoluted. Like do I do I truly think up every word right like a split second before I say it? Like it must be like a millisecond, but the way that they depict it is that you hear someone sort of start thinking and then they start speaking out loud at like a second later. So Jughead is answering the thought and not the speech, but there are slight nuances. He must still have to be reading lips because like sometimes people edit slightly when they talk. So that uh, that's what's happening with Jughead. And the real controversy is that someone has written an article in Jughead's paper that he's decided to go ahead and publish anonymously uh, in his paper, The Riverdale Choice, which if you remember, this was a paper he decided to start, I think, right before the Rivervale episodes. I don't know. He initially like started it in school. It was in retaliation against Hiram, I think. But now it's just the Riverdale paper. I, I guess the Riverdale register is completely gone. And uh, so the the Riverdale worst town in America is the title. Uh, Mary with an accent, do you want to talk about a little bit about like what's in that article? Yeah, so basically the article lays out several of the things about uh, Riverdale that we as an audience have been thinking, yeah, this is true, this is a this is a problem with the town, like Hiram obviously was horrible, but he did kind of have a point in, in the way that Riverdale is really no longer the town that it was in season one. So uh, first off, the writer hates the casino, says it's illegal, uh, they condemn Riverdale's culture of street gangs, most notably the ghoulies and the serpents. Uh, calls out the town's long history of intolerance, ignorance, persecution, and backward thinking. And at that moment, we get sort of a zoom in on Abigail. So I guess she's like, oh, yes, remember when I was a witch and everybody burned me at the stake? Uh, The article highlights the overtaxed, ineffectual law enforcement, which, uh, yes, they are certainly ineffectual based on the way we've seen them ever since since FP left town. Um, I'm not really sure that FP was really actually doing anything 
anything anyway, but oh well. And of course, the lack of cultural and performing arts, which I think is more of a new thing because back in the days of Riverdale High in the first couple seasons, I mean, they churned out a musical every once in a while, even if it did always result in a murder. And uh, lastly, they critique the Riverdale struggling economy, soaring unemployment and homelessness. And even though we have this long list of things, really only two of them are really going to be addressed in this episode so far, so maybe we'll get to the other ones later. Yeah, uh, thanks for summarizing all that. Uh, also, I just want to call out, because I like to pause the screen and zoom in on some moments here, um, the R Riverdale Worst Town in America article, right under that are some bullet points that I couldn't tell at first if this was like about what was going to be in the article, but it seems to be just other things that are in the paper. It says, Town Council rejects plan to add a four-way traffic light. I don't know if this is supposed to be like a positive or negative commentary on that. It does seem a little ridiculous to have a four-way traffic light in such a tiny town, but my mind has like gotten confused. How big is Riverdale? Because the town hall meetings make it seem like there's about 30 people living there. So I don't really know, but a four-way traffic light seems like a lot. But then in the first couple seasons, when you see like the B-roll footage of the town, it seems like it's a pretty big town. So they would definitely need a traffic light. Did the traffic lights all get taken away when the town was unincorporated? I, I have no idea. I'm not sure. Um, and then the paper also says plans to develop a film studio in Riverdale are scrapped. What on earth? What film studio? Wait, I'm trying to remember. Was this something? Was there something that Hermione wanted to do at the end of last episode with the film, like filming in Riverdale? You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm making that up. But anyway, that seems ridiculous that anyone would want to have a film studio there unless unless they were like, oh, slightly small abandoned town time to, time to film here. But actually on my vacation to Forks that I just went to, Forks, Washington, which actually is a small town. Like, I don't think Riverdale is supposed to be that small. I'm pretty sure we've seen the population sign and it's a lot bigger, but I can't think right now how big the population is. But I thought it was like at least at least in the tens of thousands. But in uh, in Forks, Washington, when they were going to film the Twilight movies, they couldn't film there because they're, the town was too small to like support a film crew. Like they didn't have enough, you know, housing and infrastructure and hotels and that sort of thing. And that would definitely be the case with Riverdale now based on the situation it's in. So that makes sense. Let's see. There was another point, bullet point that said debate rages over where to keep Riverdale radio. Or maybe it, was, maybe it said if to keep Riverdale radio. I'm not sure, but I imagine that there is a debate raging over this. It's pretty funny. And then Riverdale High's boys basketball team wins tourney. So uh, yeah, it took, you know, we had a several episode arc about Archie trying to build a football team back at the school, but I, I guess they have a basketball team and it and it wins the 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 attorney as simple as that sounds um i also think it's funny we have a shot here of alice and frank who are i, I guess living together like there are so many things that i feel like the alice and frank romance was just a river vale thing but now are they are they together are they just always hanging out because they're the only two adults in town besides sheriff keller i don't know anyway they're they're hanging out and i just think it's funny they're sitting next to each other in their house with each having a paper like are these papers freely distributed what household gets two of the same paper I don't know. So Archie is upset about the article, obviously, and blames Jughead for publishing it. But Jughead's like, it's a free press. Like, what are we going to do? We have to do this. So Alice and Frank call a town hall meeting to 
to discuss the garbage article, as Archie puts it. And uh, first off, Alice is going to call out the illegal casino here. She's like, yeah, that does have a point. And also, I'm pretty sure we told you you couldn't have a casino. So was the casino a, a secret up to this point? Because it was definitely a thing in Rivervale. Again, the, the timeline, so confusing. And so Veronica's like, no, no, the, the casino's strictly legal and the employees are all Riverdale citizens and the casino can pull in tourism money. And Alice is like, no, you're a lodge. No lodge has ever done anything good for this town, which does it does seem a little harsh. Like, you've known Veronica for a while. Like, come on, you know that she's different, I think. Or is, is she not? Because is Veronica kind of corrupt? Like, I don't know. I can't remember if we're supposed to feel like Veronica's on the straight and narrow or not. I don't, I don't know. We, we don't have clarity into this. Oh my gosh. But more on the casino plotline later. We'll cover that separately. Yes. So Archie is going to demand that whoever wrote this article stand up and own up to it and be brave enough to do that. And and for some reason this works and Pickens stands up and is like, hi, I'm Pickens. I wrote the article, but I had to write it anonymously. Otherwise I thought you guys wouldn't take me seriously because of how I used to own the town and whatnot. And, uh, Archie is like, well, uh, bet you don't have any solutions to fix the town. You just wrote an article talking about how bad it was. And Pickens is like, no, I do have some solutions. And then Archie is like, my solution is your fi- is my fist against your face. Archie, this is not a solution. You need to put those fists down, sweetie, and sit down. Uh, but Pickens really, really talks about, remember that article gave several different points that I mentioned before. Well, we're really only going to talk about the casino and the homelessness in, uh, in the town. Those are the only things we're talking about in this episode. So we really get on this homeless situation and Pickens is like why don't we just put all the homeless people on a bus and bus them out of town and uh, Jughead's gonna hear some people's thoughts where they they seem to maybe agree with this opinion now this is obviously a very hot button issue that's a real issue in uh, in real life you know I um, just recently uh, visited my my brother in uh, Seattle Washington and Seattle has a a similar um, situation going on with the the homeless population in the tent cities and whatnot there. So this is something that a lot of uh, big cities especially, but probably also some small towns are are facing. It is a very complicated issue that lots of people have lots of different uh, thoughts and solutions and opinions on. And uh, so it's a a relevant topic, but uh, I think as usual, Riverdale takes a relevant topic and then just kind of runs with one solution that doesn't really necessarily give us a I don't know, a great insight into what the world is really facing. So, uh, Pickens, yeah, Pickens is like, well, we'll just bust them out of town. But Archie decides that he speaks for the entire rest of the town. He's like, no, that's not who we are. Well, that's not what we do. Well, Archie, maybe some people do that just because you don't. Just because Fred Andrews one time tried to be the mayor of the town, but I'm pretty sure he failed. That doesn't mean that you get to speak for everybody. But, of course, Archie's the hero of the show, so that's where we're going for this episode. And so then, of course, Jughead chimes in uh, in narrative form and says, and thus begins the battle for Riverdale's soul. I'm pretty sure Riverdale's soul has been a hot battle for the last several episodes, if not seasons, because ever since Hiram was there, that seemed to be when he was just, you know, uh, darkening the soul of Riverdale. But uh, Archie, as the White Knight, stands up and is like, I'm here, I'm here to fix Riverdale's every problem. But of course, he doesn't have a solution. Yeah, he doesn't He doesn't have a solution, of course. So Jughead's going to go to Archie's house and is like, hey, what's your big solution? 
solution to come up with a plan for the um, homeless issue. And uh, Archie has nothing. So Jughead's like, okay, I'm going to be a part of this plot line. I'm going to help out. I suggest that maybe we build some micro homes, uh, which, uh, as you mentioned, is is a solution that, uh, you know, potential solution that some cities are doing. I think in the episode, they mentioned that this is a real thing in Chicago, which, of course, as we know, Riverdale somehow not in Chicago, but very near Chicago. Chicago is very relevant all the time. And uh, so we bring Chicago up here um, for for how they have built these micro homes. So then Pickens is going to go to Alice and uh, try to get her to side with him on his plan to prevent whatever kind of plan that Archie might come up with. And so Alice is like, well, you know, Archie's from this town. We're going to hear him out and hear out whatever his plan is. And then Pickens is just a real jerk, pulls out the big guns, and he's like, oh, well, I thought you would care more about the, you know, the the violence in this town, how dangerous it could be that you might want it to be safe, you know, after what happened to your daughter, Polly. Now, first off, uh, how does Pickens know anything about Polly and what happened? And also, that really doesn't have anything to do with the homeless population, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that the situation there had to do with some creepy family who lived on the side of the road. I forget, it was a long time ago, and uh, honestly, this accent wasn't around back then. <laughs> Too true. It, it was a while ago. And yeah, you're right. Um, so Archie's going to present his his tiny home plan. But it seems like Alice has been swayed by Pickens. And she's really shooting it down. Um, mostly she starts to shoot it down when Archie says that it's going to cost twenty to $25,000 for material for each house. He wants to build 30 houses. Now, if these houses do actually have showers and bathrooms, like I think they mention, then maybe I can see how you're getting to that $20,000, $25,000, but they're they're only like eight feet wide. I'm not sure exactly how big they are, but they're, they're about the size of like a, you know, a nice shed. I'm no expert, but I have been going through the home buying process recently. And, you know, you can like, you can like build a, a you know, a bathroom onto your house, like a big one for about $20,000, $25,000. So I don't know. It, it just seems, it seems like you could do this for less money, but maybe not. You know, houses are expensive, so I'm not 100% sure. I'm not an expert, but it did, it did seem like a, a large estimate, especially since Archie says that he's going to provide the labor for free. But Alice shoots down the idea and is like, oh, well, you know, with those type of costs, the, the taxes are going to be brought up. And, and Pickens is like, well, what about my busing idea? That was super easy, except Pickens says it in a British accent because he's he's British. I forgot to mention that, but that's kind of relevant to the whole, you know, uh, shtick we're doing here today. The others on the board suggest that Archie maybe come up with a way for funding and create a proof of concept and then maybe they could get behind it. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a shame that that Archie's going to have such a hard time with this, but of course at this point we're only about 20 minutes into the episode, so we need a little bit of conflict and it, it can't just be smooth sailing for Archie, especially since Pickens as we read in an article a few weeks ago uh, is apparently going to be the new big bad stepping in for Hiram. So, let let's stop down here and talk about this for a little bit. Uh Mary, what do you think about Pickens being the big bad? Is that do you, do you find him compelling? Do you think that he's going to stick around for a while? What do you think? Well, uh, yeah, you know, I'm not sure because it seems like a lot was discovered about Pickens in this episode. So I could see Pickens being a quote unquote, like small bad or medium bad for, for a few episodes, but maybe not the whole time. Like what? Is he going to be the, the bad guy for the rest of the season? I don't know. I, I could see it maybe happening for a little while, but, but uh, his kind of 
whole thing, I think, is going to get solved pretty quickly based on how far we got at the end of this episode. So I'm not sure. But but in terms of like the actor and the the idea of him being there, I, I do like it. I, I feel like we've now, with the time jump, aged up the characters enough that having a quote unquote like real adult figure be the big bad, like in Hiram, it used to feel so weird, which is why we talked so much about how we liked it when the Stonies were the bad guys, because they're more on even playing field with Archie and the others when they were in high school. Like it makes more sense for high schoolers to have other high schoolers as their main enemies, not like someone's parent. It just kind of, I don't know, like I've mentioned before, it's the same thing that they do in the Outer Banks. So it's classic, classic uh, teen drama likes to have, you know, one of the parents be like the bad guy. But I don't know. I, I think that this works a little bit better. It's, it's, it's more like Charles or Chick, but not quite. I don't know how old Pickens is supposed to be, like late, late 30s, early 40s ish. I, I really, I can't tell uh, either with the actor or the character how old he's supposed to be. But, you know, like with them being in their mid 20s, like maybe, maybe this works. I don't know. He, he seems compelling. He's a, uh, he's interesting. He's not quite as cartoonish as Hiram while also somehow being more so because he's just like walks in and is so obviously a bad guy. Like, think if you're in this town and some random person comes in and starts having a lot of opinions about the town, I think that you would notice and you'd pick up on that. I I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I feel like pretty much everything you said, I pretty much agree with. So I don't know. It's uh, it's a lot. But Archie's going to pull Pickens aside and try to have a little bro talk with him and, uh, you know, see if they can come to some kind of compromise because they both claim that they want the same thing for Riverdale to make it a safer place. Now, Pickens is very vague on, like, where he moved from, anything about himself. He's just like, oh, I've been around. Okay, what does that mean, Pickens? What does being around mean? Have you been nearby? Were you in Chicago? We don't know. I don't know anything about what Pickens is trying to say here. So, Pickens keeps talking about, he said this in a previous episode, that Riverdale has a ton of potential. Um, why? What on earth about Riverdale, besides it just being a plot of land that's not very well governed, makes it have a lot of potential? Is it just a lot of potential for someone to step in and rule it? Maybe. Oh, you know what? This just comes to mind when I was thinking about that with, uh, you know coming in to try and rule over the 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 disenfranchised or the 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 downtrodden it does remind me of uh chad michael murray when he was the cult leader it's it's sort of a similar vibe like i feel like if the cult the farm situation was happening now like this would be prime opportunity to move in on this town and and try to take advantage of these people and put and take them under your wing so uh i think pickens is probably most like chad michael murray in terms of villain status so maybe maybe something like that yeah that that's a good point that you bring up. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that, but uh yeah, it is it's kind of similar in age and looks wise. They they kind of have that same sort of magnetic quality. So, I, I could see that for sure. Uh, magnetic quality along with other uh, persuasive qualities. So, um Pickens says that that Archie's wrong and that the the homeless people just want handouts and that his neighbors don't actually want them here and you'll see like they'll turn on you uh, and all that. And Archie's like, "No, no, Pickens, you have a warped, cynical idea of who the town is. We're going to prove you wrong. And Pickens is like, yeah, you try to prove me wrong. And if I was Archie, I'd be like, hey, he seems really confident that he's going to get his way. So I'd be suspicious if I were Archie. But Archie's going to go and pitch to Tabitha and Tony an idea of making two of the tiny homes and painting them to look like the white worm and pops, respectively, and setting them up outside in the parking lot, sort of as like advertisements 
for the businesses and to give the occupants a sense of like really being a part of the town's daily life as long as Tabitha and Tony can sort of foot the bill and, and pay for these homes. They agree and Archie and the crew start building the homes down in Sketch Alley. Now, I don't know why they have to build the homes in Sketch Alley. Like, why don't they just build them in the parking lot? I guess maybe that would take up space. But I, I okay, I get the idea of making them like billboards for like promotional purposes. But is it like, do you need to have a billboard for your business? Like literally on the lot of your business? Like, why would you look at the little Pops tiny home and be like, oh, Pops, I wonder what that is. You're at Pops. Pop, the real Pops is right there. I mean, the white worm, I understand because that's like underground. But I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like this was just because they, they don't have a whole lot of outdoor sets to deal with, but I'm not sure where else it would make sense to put them. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe ask the occupants where they would like to live, but maybe maybe that's not the point. I'm not sure. So while working on the tiny homes, uh, Doc, who if you remember, Doc was a person who lived in Sketch Alley who helped out Jughead during the... Um, the episodes, I think it was the Rat King episodes, or I'm not sure. There was like a whole whole situation with Jughead where he ended up in Sketch Alley. I think he was like fighting some people or something. He was unconscious and Doc like nursed him back to life. So Jughead has a, a friendly relationship with Doc and they're talking and, and Doc agrees that, that they're going to help build the tiny homes as well. And so it's all really great and everything until a few minutes later, Doc knocks out Kevin with a hammer and it's like... Oh my goodness, what are you doing, Doc? Except, hello, Doc clearly seems to be not in his right state of mind when this happens. So at this point, of course, as I'm watching the episodes, I'm like, okay, Pickens definitely has some sort of mind control powers, right? We've seen Alice act a little bit uh, unlike herself, although truthfully, Alice is a little bit of a stickler and against Veronica's casino for several episodes, so she wasn't really that different except for mostly just shooting Archie down, but she does that occasionally too, so that wasn't as noticeable but but seeing doc go from good to bad in the minute of in the in the span of a couple minutes and knocking out kevin with a big old hammer now that seemed pretty pretty out of character so uh my guess is that jughead at this point i'm thinking he's going to find out due to his mind reading quality that pickens is able to uh manipulate other people's minds somehow yeah uh, that was that was my thought as well i i had pretty much pretty much the same prediction and uh of course, we were we were kind of right, but we'll get to it. So Alice reports the attack against Kevin and Tabitha and Tony are like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is intense because, of course, these tiny homes are going to be like sponsors, representatives of our businesses. So we, you know, can't have them being associated with something like, uh, you know, people knocking out the, you know, the deputy over here. So Tabitha and Tony, they say they're still in. They're still going to support Archie. They're still going to, to pay and back him uh but but tony's like maybe maybe we don't need to paint one of them like the worm um now this this plan is going to like almost immediately get reversed and they're going to end up painting one like the white worm anyway so i don't really know when that plan changes but whatever so then of course another sketchy thing happens yeah 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 so another sketchy thing happens where pickens checks on kevin in the hospital and uh and we know it's suspicious like we know that pickens is about to tell something to kevin or sheriff keller that is not going to be good for the our heroes here. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, Archie finishes up the pop's tiny home, and, and it's cute. Uh, you know, it's 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 great. But unfortunately, later that night, it's vandalized with uh, spray paint, and it's it just got really rude. 
things written all over it, like, we don't want you here, go away, that kind of thing. And Archie is very angry and he punches his truck. Look, I know that we joke a lot about the punchaholicness of Archie, but really, like, does he need to punch something in every episode? Like, Archie, remember we talked about this earlier, you do not just solve, you know, the solution is not to go at it with your fists. You need to use your mind and your brain and your words. So maybe let's try that, Archie, and tone it down a little. But I wasn't sure, maybe, maybe we needed to see him punch the truck to see that he's still invulnerable. And if that's the case, if he is invulnerable still, um, is it dangerous for Archie to punch somebody? Is like, can he also punch real hard or does he just not get hurt himself? Unclear, right? Because you would think if it doesn't hurt your hand to punch, maybe you could punch harder? I'm not 100% sure on that one. Yeah, (laughs) I'm not sure. I mean, that's an interesting theory, but I don't know if that's exactly how punching works, but I'm not a punchaholic, so I don't know myself. Yeah. So Jughead's going to go to Doc in prison. He's going to be like, hey, what happened with Kevin? Like, that's, you know, seems very unlike you you to have done that. And Doc is like, I literally have no memory of it, but it felt like someone put the idea into my mind. And I think the person who I remember talking to, uh, I think had a British accent. So Jughead's like, okay, I'm going to go talk to Pickens and see if I can figure anything out. So he talks to Pickens on the pretense of interviewing him again for the paper. But, and, and this is unclear here, Pickens somehow knows that Jughead can hear his thoughts because he's talking normal, but then he says something in his mind like, oh, Jughead, how you're rooting around in my brain. Are you enjoying that? And Jughead very obviously like backs up and is like, oh my gosh, how does he know that I'm reading his mind? Or like, dude, you could have just like played it cool. Maybe he wouldn't have known if you didn't react to that, but I guess you can't hear his real words. So what else are you going to do? Also, Pickens, how do you have a different thought at the exact same time you're speaking words out loud that are different? See, this is, this is, I don't really know how, like how your brain works. Can you think, that seems like multitasking, right? Can you think something and say something at the exact same time that are different? (sighs) I mean, I guess... I don't know. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Yeah, so Jughead, Tabitha, and Tony are going to repaint the tiny homes and uh, finish those up. And they're like, you know what? We said we were going to do this, so we're going to get behind you 100%. But at the end of the episode here, Pickens comes by and he's like, there's no point anymore. I spoke to all the people over at Sketch Alley and I got them to move on and leave. They packed up. I gave them $100 each to start a new life. And let me tell you, $100 does not sound like enough money to start a new life. So what was even the point? You might as well not have given them anything. Oh, come on. Now, I mean, like it's better to give them something than nothing like i mean I, yeah it's it's definitely not enough money to start any kind of significant life but i'm not i'm not gonna say like don't give the homeless people a hundred dollars like you should still do that okay okay maybe i misspoke but i'm just saying like it's clearly not enough money to start completely over yeah yeah okay like eh, fair point that that makes sense so uh, they check out sketch alley which is in fact empty and it seems like everyone is less so i guess that he somehow persuaded them out of it and uh, we have one more town hall meeting where everyone is applauding Pickens for uh, having all the homeless people up and leave. And he says that, uh, you know, he couldn't have paid the homeless people without Sheriff Keller. And Keller announces that Pickens is now going to be joining their force as a deputy. So I guess that Pickens, like, mind-controlled Sheriff Keller to have him want him to join as a deputy. I'm I'm not really sure about this because it seems like with Sheriff Keller and with 
Alice, like they, they're sort of having like lasting mind control or lasting persuasion. Whereas with Doc, it seemed like a one-time thing and then he immediately snapped out of it. So I don't know if it's like different types of persuasion. Um, maybe it has to do with like proximity. I, I'm not really sure. We also don't find out who spray painted the tiny homes uh, who vandalized them. I'm going to assume that that might have also been Kevin and Sheriff Keller. Well, Kevin's probably still in the hospital. So maybe just Sheriff Keller or really it could have been anyone that Pickens got to do it. So you would think that maybe with all of the <laughs> vandalism that Pops has faced in the past, that maybe they should have some like video cameras, some security cameras outside to to check. I mean, this is happening in their park- parking lot. But uh, I mean, after all the truckers and everything that was happening last season, I feel like maybe we would want a little bit of security out there just so we could check some of the stuff. But I don't know, maybe maybe it's just not a high priority on Pops's list. So Jughead is going to answer Archie's thought out loud. And then Archie is like, oh my gosh, he's like a super villain. And Jughead's like, yes, he is. And Archie just kind of stares at him. And the Jughead's like, we need to talk. Um, I don't know why we don't get this scene, but we later find out that it sounds like Jughead does inform Archie that he uh, can hear uh, hear thoughts and read people's minds. So m- maybe they just didn't have time for that. I'm kind of bummed. I feel like that would have been a good conversation to have, but I don't know. Maybe they just couldn't, couldn't write it in a compelling way. I mean, you know, the conversation was probably just like, hey, Archie, I can read thoughts. Oh, wow. That's, that's wild. I- I'm going to assume that Archie then told Jughead like, yeah, and I'm invulnerable and, and Betty can read people's, dan- people's danger auras. Like, I'm assuming that's what happened because what else? Like, would he have just been like, oh, that's that's weird. I mean, I totally believe you, but yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna follow up. I don't know. I still don't get why these friends are hiding things from each other, but uh, Jughead probably should tell Tabitha also what's going on. But anyway, and that wraps up the main plot line. So we've got one more left, which is casino plots again. Yay. Oh, we were so excited that Veronica might be able to do something that is not just business related. But no, we're back to the Veronica business plots. Uh, I'm uh, Mary, Mary with an accent. You, you take it from here for a little bit. I, uh, I just like can't even right now. Oh, I know. Me too. It's, it's so, it's so frustrating to have to deal with the Veronica plot lines. Like I, nobody, nobody wanted the casino. I mean, I, the, Casino set piece is pretty cool. Like we, she's got like a very Charlie and the Chocolate Factory sort of office now, where where she has like a glass window where she can look down into the casino floor. That that's that's kind of interesting, and I like the color scheme here. I, I still can't really figure it out though because this is definitely the same set that used to be Hiram's office, and I don't did did she take over Hiram's Hiram's office and then build? But Hiram's office was on the south side, but the south side didn't exist. I very unclear. I need a map of Riverdale. It's very confusing. So Veronica suggests to Reggie after the conversation that they had with Alice initially about the casino and where she shot them down she's like hey you know I know that we have probably been on the same page about how we were gonna we were gonna do things illegally and, and run our usual scams and whatnot but maybe we go against type and we just run the casino legally and Reggie's like well that's kind of a bummer but I guess I'll do whatever you say and uh, it was just pretty funny to see that they were both assuming that they'd be doing it illegally which I, I mean like the last time that Veronica had the casino you know in the speakeasy and and stuff. Yeah, it wasn't legal because you can't just set up a casino night in a speakeasy. I mean, I'm not sure the speakeasy was really legal, but but it seems like she tries to do things sort of legally from time to time. Like she didn't want to sell alcohol and stuff to minors. So I'm not really sure where this concept has come in that they do things all illegal. Like when they were doing stock market stuff, was that all illegal? I thought at least some of that was was legal, but I don't. <sighs> 
uh, too many businesses, they run together. So she's like, maybe we need to get our licenses and our permits and everything. And he's like, okay, but that's expensive. And she says, we're going to hang up my father's portrait. We're going to take down my creepy portrait of myself. That's weird that I have in my office anyway. And hang up my father's as a reminder of what we're not going to be like. Now, I don't know about you, Mary, but if I had a picture of something that I, I wanted to use as inspiration of what I was not going to be like, I think that that just might haunt me. And I don't think that that's a really good decision decision personally yeah i don't know i mean i think maybe they just like wanted to use that Hiram portrait that they have and and they just want to switch out the portraits it's truly amazing that the veronica and Hiram portraits have lasted this long and that none of them have had a camera in them i'm still i'm still annoyed with that oh yes but we we know that the riverdale writers are just never going to give us what we want so that's the case but veronica and reggie are going to present their newest idea to the town hall and that their plan is that to make riverdale the next atlantic city which is something that they mentioned at the end of season five, I believe, when the original casino plan was shot down by the uh, town hall and the, the town uh, elders, or whatever they call it, the, the group, you know, the four of them were like, oh, I think that casinos are not really our highest priority when we don't have a fire department or, you know, sidewalks and a hospital and stuff. So uh, I still don't know why Veronica and Reggie went along with this casino plan, but is this really what the little tiny small town, quaint small town of Riverdale, you know, at least how Riverdale was in the early seasons, what it wants to be? It wants to rebrand itself as an Atlantic City? And Veronica's going to say it's going to be a family-friendly destination. Now, I've never been to Atlantic City, so I don't know, but I always thought Atlantic City was sort of like a East Coast sort of a Vegas situation. I mean, I know it's not quite to that extent, but I don't really think family vacation when I think Atlantic City, but maybe I'm wrong. I think more back bachelorette party but what do I know I've never been so this is when I kind of wish that Archie and Veronica were still together because I feel like they would clash so much on their plans for the town like you know Archie's plans are very much I want to do this really really you know clean and nice thing for the town that's of a you know a particular type of uh, vision and Veronica's vision seems to be completely opposite and it's at moments like these when you're like wait a second if they were still dating they would definitely clash on this and that might have actually been an interesting thing to see but because they're not dating any longer we guess we just don't even have this discussion like why couldn't you know or maybe since they've broken up maybe Archie does call her out for once and is like hey you know this is not actually a good idea and I can't believe that I have a side with you but we don't get any of that. Yeah, I, I, we don't get any of that. And um, it was around this moment in the episode when I was like, hey, where's Betty? And I forgot that Betty was, I, I guess, had left town at the end of last episode in order to try and find the uh, TBK. And Betty's pretty much gone from this whole episode until the very last scene. So I don't know. Uh, we speculated that maybe Lily Reinhardt was like filming something else or, or something. Like, certainly plenty of actors have had absent episodes. But I think this might be the first time that Betty has been almost completely gone from the entire episode I think I, I could be wrong but it, it seems like Betty's kind of a staple and that she's usually around so uh, Veronica and Reggie are going to pitch this idea again and Alice dismisses them uh, Frank says that Riverdale has a lot of veterans and other broken people and that a casino isn't really the healthiest place for them and I guess this is the closest we get to like Archie and Veronica clashing on this just because Archie was a veteran and like 
or you know is a veteran and and sort of they zoom on in on his face when frank says this but i don't know i feel like it might have been a little more impactful if archie would have said it but maybe the implication was like frank needed to step in and be the one to say it because archie's not going to like shoot down his ex i don't know i'm still kind of annoyed with the way that they ended that that whole thing was just in the musical episode they they live together and realize it's not working for some reason i don't know so reggie's going to inform veronica that with all the startup costs and now that they're trying to do everything right and legally they're not turning a profit and maybe they never will now i don't know that much about casinos but from what i do know is that even the ones that are like legal that they do turn a profit so what what's the situation here do they just not have enough people coming in like what's the what's the problem because i thought the house always won you know (laughs) yeah that's what i always heard i always heard the house always wins but you know unless you're watching like ocean's Eleven's movies (laughs) yeah that's a that's a good point Uh, man i do love those movies so um an employee then calls veronica and reggie and is like you need to come to the private gambling room asap we've got a situation and this was this was pretty unnerving um somebody had hung themselves and and they really don't like shy away from just like showing it um and it's you know I mean, we, we we saw this back in the end of season one, or maybe it was like the first episode of season two with Clifford Blossom having a similar scenario. Although I guess we found out later that Penelope actually killed him. But yeah, I don't know. I was just, I was not expecting this. Like, I think I was expecting the, the room to be ransacked or something, but I was not expecting this. And Veronica is going to call in her grandmother's godson, Geraldo, to come help out this situation because he's like... Uh, uh, I don't know, a hitman? Like, no, I don't really know what he is, but someone who I guess helps out <laughs> these kind of um, non-legal situations. So they're going to check the security video and they see that the guy, uh, contrary to what they would think, he was actually winning big time. Like he wasn't, he wasn't someone who had t- lost a ton of money or anything like that. But they see him win a lot, and then they see Pickens sitting next to him, whispering in his ear. And the second he whispers in his ear, the guy gets visibly distressed. And so it's like, okay, something's happening. So uh, Geraldo shows up and takes care of the body. He says he's going to move it to a rest stop in New Jersey and then call it in. So... I guess we don't even find out who this person was. Like, was this a citizen of Riverdale? Was this like an out-of-towner? I have no idea. So Geraldo's like, well, if you if you need money, I can bring in some of my, my big spenders, or as he calls them, his wise guys. Uh, but Veronica's like, no, no, like that's that's not legal. Is that is that not legal? You can't like invite people who have a lot of money to your casino? I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that's a thing that that is allowed. I don't know. Maybe it's not, but it, it's always a thing you see in like casino movies that they like have the 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 what are they called the sharks the whales the something <laughs> the big spenders coming in so i don't know and uh yeah but but she's like no don't do that but but can you check into this percival pickens guy because he seems a little sketch from this video yeah and then reggie and uh veronica ask alice again about the casino because she keeps shooting down their their pitches and alice says that you know the really the biggest issue with the casino is that veronica is the figurehead of the Babylonian, since the lodge name is synonymous with corruption, especially in this town. And this is true, you know, after everything that just happened with Hiram, especially because Hiram clearly planted the bomb in Betty's house, I mean, Betty and Archie's, I guess it was Archie's house, under their bed, and, uh, you know, all of that, I can understand why the lodge name might be a little bit sullied here. But 
but Veronica, I mean, come on, uh, Alice, you've known Veronica since she was a kid. Like, this is this is harsh. And now this must be some Pickens mind control uh, speaking, I think, at least to some extent. But maybe I'm wrong. So she says if Veronica can take a back seat and be out of the limelight, then maybe we could work together. But otherwise, Veronica is not going to win a fight against everything that the town hall will throw at them, trying to, you know, uh, picket and, and boycott the casino and whatnot. And I, I understand this. I, I think this was actually a perfectly fair pitch from Alice. Like, you know, have Reggie run the casino. It's not like she says that Veronica even needs to be, like, cut out of her own company. She just says that she needs to take a step back and not be in the limelight. So if I was Veronica, I think I would take this deal. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I think I would take this deal also if I was Veronica. Uh, now, what's truly wild is Veronica's decision that comes after this. So in response to Alice's, you know, solution here, Veronica is like, nope, I'm just going to completely break bad and go against Riverdale. Like, why? What does this get you? This is, this is so dumb. Like, you literally just said you didn't want to be like your father and that you were like, you, you tried to be good for like two days and you're like, never mind. And Reggie's all excited because he's like, oh, yeah, our schemes and plots. We get to we get to do those again. Like, OK, yeah, great. Like, you may get some town or you may get some money here, but you're going to be warring against this town. Like, what what is the solution here? Like, what? how does this end well for you? You go bad. You get money. But, like, everyone in town hates you, and they're probably going to try to boycott you even more now. So you're just going to be fighting against that. Like, this doesn't get you anything. I don't understand. Because what is Veronica's goal? If she just wanted to make money, she would leave the town and go make money somewhere else. But clearly she has an attachment to this town. So, like, what what is your situation? If you have an attachment to this town, stop trying to screw the town over. I don't know. It's just frustrating. But anyway, so Geraldo agrees to get his high rollers to come in after all and spend some money there so yay that's uh i i I don't know i guess we're not done with the casino plots um but geraldo does say that he did look into percival pickens and there was nothing to find he's like a ghost no paper trail like he didn't exist before showing up which brings us to the end of the episode. Yes, so at the end, Betty comes back, and I, I was truly surprised to see her. I thought we would have a whole episode without her, but she says that she was following the TBK, and she lost him in Maine, uh, but that her migraines have gotten much, much worse, and they're triggered by light. But she can still read the auras, which th- this is very much like the um, conversation we had a few episodes ago when they were like, oh, we're still part of the queer community it's like they, they have to spell everything out for us she's like but you know i i could still see the auras you could just say that but she doesn't she's like the the light is bad but i can i can still read the auras by the way that's a thing i can still do like why did we need that line that extra line like yeah we understood you could just say it's it, the migraines have gotten worse but the but the auras are still happening like i don't know it was just frustrating and archie is going to inform betty that jughead can read minds and he tells her about Pickens and so that leads us to our final scene where we have Pickens who is set up in some sort of office or home of of some sort I I couldn't quite tell what it was Um, but he's got a murder board of sorts out it doesn't have any red uh, string connecting things but there are all sorts of pictures of all of basically the main characters in Riverdale and clippings of articles and things like that and he's writing in a notebook where he writes Jughead Jones mind reader
reader question mark and then he he zooms in and glares at Archie's picture of Archie smiling back at him and uh, that's the end of the episode yeah that's it so clearly trying to set up Pickens obviously is a big bad here of some sort so I guess we'll see where that goes from there but you know all in all it wasn't the worst episode. Um, I, I like the fact that for the most part, like I broke out the casino stuff, but honestly, the casino stuff, like you could even say that was all one plot, basically like one plot and then the Cheryl plot and the Cheryl plot, while incredibly separate, it was at least kind of compelling with the dreamwalking stuff. I don't know. Like, we've gone full magic. We've gone full superhero because they talk about Pickens as having been like a ghost coming from nowhere, has a paper trail, no paper trail. I'm assuming that Kirsten's theory about uh, Pickens, like, maybe being something that bled out of the, you know, the schism between Riverdale and Rivervale, like, when that happened with the explosion, like, somehow there are the, the universes are overlapping and that maybe, like, he came out of that. And so that's why he, like, just showed up suddenly because he, he showed up, like, the day after everything happened, you know, when he tried to buy <laughs> the Andrews home. So... I don't know. I think that like maybe that was what happened, but I'm not really sure. Not 100% sure on that one. So, uh, Mary with an accent, do you want to talk a little bit about the title of the episode? Sure. The title of the episode, uh, The Town, could mean many different things. There are several different movies and TV shows, even a Netflix series uh, called The Town, but I'm going to say that it is potentially about the 2010 film called The Town, and mostly I'm going to talk about this one because uh, it's the first thing that comes up when you Google The Town, and also I I watched it, uh, I believe, not this past uh, November, but the the one before that in uh, November of 2020, uh, back when I went to visit my brother in Seattle on a, a separate uh, occasion for uh, Thanksgiving, and we watched this movie. It was one of the few movies on Netflix at the time that we could all agree on as a family to watch, and it is a, a 2012, uh, 2010 American crime thriller, um, co-written, directed, and starring Ben Affleck, uh, and uh, is adapted from Chuck Hogan's 2004 novel, The Prince of Thieves. And it's uh, about a, a group of Boston bank robbers who set uh, out to get one final score by robbing Fenway Park. And it's a it's a very violent movie, but, you know, it's very interesting. So if you're into that kind of thing, uh, that could potentially be something that the, the title was based off of, but I'm not really sure that I see a whole lot of connection. Uh, but that's not really what we do on this podcast, is it? No, no. Not really. We pretty much just talk about the uh, first thing that's Googled from the title for the most part. So uh, let's talk about maybe the most normal person from this week. This one, this one's kind of hard because, uh, I don't know, I want to rule out anyone who's a magical powers. So it's not Jughead. It's not Archie. It's not Percival Pickens. Obviously, I don't think Percival's ever going to win most normal. Well, I don't know. Weirder things have happened. I'm never going to say never. <laughs> oh, yes. Never say never. So I don't know. Maybe um, it's not Alice because she was mind control. Uh, I, I don't know. This is a really tough one. Like, maybe it could be, like, Tony and Tabitha because they agree to build. I'm not sure. Because I still don't know if building them in the parking lot is the best idea. I think, okay, this is going to be a stretch and Kirsten may not agree with this. What about Frank? And, and I know that Frank didn't say much, but Frank's one major point here about, like, maybe a casino in a town with a lot of broken people who can barely have enough money anyway to make like make by make by get by get by make do whatever um that, like maybe that's not great like I, I think he was speaking some truth there so maybe that i don't know what do you think 
yeah, I, I could see that. I think it's definitely tricky. But, um, yeah, I'm okay with Frank. So, so we can go with Frank. Uh, what's it? Is he, I guess he's Frank Andrews. Y- yes, long lost brother. Yeah, yeah, Frank, Frank Andrews. So, okay. Um, yeah, we'll put that one in. Just do Frank Andrews. All right, cool. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if Kirsten's going to agree with that, but we'll go with that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, anything anything else, uh, Mary, with an accent that you have about this episode? Oh, not really. I mean, this was a weird experience for everybody, and I'm sure that uh, if you made it to the end of this, then, well, you know, God bless you for being able to, to deal with this situation. I'm not even really sure exactly what this accent is. It's just sort of me talking in a slightly southern, a little bit faster, lighter voice. So, I don't know. Um, but this was, you know, this was a weird episode of the the show and it's gonna be a weird episode of the podcast so this is what happens when we record at 2 a.m yeah but nothing else thank you for inviting me on as always oh of course yeah anytime i mean uh we probably won't ever do this again i don't think um but you know never say never so okay everyone i think i think that's all for this week's episode so thank you for joining us we'll be back uh next week for episode nine until then you can follow me online at frail mary on every platform and if you're interested you can check out some of the other podcasts we do here on kowskicast.com that's cow with a k always make sure that you check out kirsten as well at kirsten said what everywhere and all of the great things that kirsten is doing um kirsten has been recording a lot of big brother canada coverage on Rob has a podcast. Uh, I've also been doing some of that. And um, Kirsten, of course, has Bojack Horse Pod. So make sure you check that out. And Kirsten has uh, been covering, of course, all of the uh, wild dating shows that happen. Oh, speaking of dating shows, actually, um, I also am back with Asia Welch now on Rob has a podcast covering the uh, Ultimatum Netflix show. So if you're watching the Ultimatum, make sure you check that coverage out. We cover Love is Blind season two, and uh, this is made by the same people and with the same hosts of Nick and Vanessa Lachey. So definitely check that out if you're interested. Until next time. Bye. Oh, Mary, you kid, it's not going to be weird at all.